0: Good morning, church. Whether you're here in person or you're watching online, as always, I love you, and I'm so incredibly thankful for you. Thank you for participating in our assembly this morning. I, I was already prepared, prepared to talk about um, the old days where we would try to navigate with a map. Um, and how nice it is now that we have our phones with GPS on them. But just yesterday, this is a true story. Just yesterday, I don't know why preachers always have to say this is a true story, as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to the times I lie to you. But um, <laughs> just yesterday, uh, we we were coming back from a wedding in Tulsa, and we were using our phone, of course, to to navigate. Had it plugged into the car, and. I promise it took on a mind of its own. I don't know. It just decided I'm taking the day off. I, I don't, I, I, it would tell me to turn. I would turn and then it would say, ah, no, actually make a U-turn and go back. It was, it was just kind of wild. But I will say I, I do, I do prefer, I prefer the GPS to the old days where we'd have the, the road atlas. You remember? I mean, the road atlas was good at getting us to a city. But, I mean, once you were there in the city, trying to find a house or trying to find a store or a a business was incredibly difficult, and it wasn't unusual, this is strange now, I know, for anybody of a certain age, but it wasn't unusual to get lost and to drive around and around and around, and stereotypically, stereotypically, the, the wife would say, why don't you stop and... Ask for directions. And so that's our question today. Why don't you stop and ask for directions? Because that happens both in the car and in life, doesn't it? Where we're, we're just sort of wandering around aimlessly, trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I do this? Maybe, maybe you're feeling that way in one area of your life or another, maybe just within family. Maybe you're, you're single and you're trying to figure out singleness. Maybe you're married and you're trying to figure out marriage. It doesn't feel the way you thought it would. It isn't going the way that you thought it would. Maybe you're a parent and you're trying to figure out parenthood and trying to figure out what do I, what do I do now? What do I do at this stage? How do I, how do I navigate this? Maybe you've just entered into a new stage of life, whatever that is, and, and you're just sort of wandering around. And maybe you've got your your Bible, kind of like your atlas, and, and it's it's upside down and backwards. And you're just trying to figure out what do I what do I do with this? What, what what am I supposed to do from here? Where do I go from here? So let's stop and ask ourselves: Why don't we? Why don't we ask for directions more often? Why don't we just sit down with somebody and say, how did you do this? What do you think I should do? Why don't we stop and ask for help or ask for advice or ask for directions more often? Let me give you five reasons why we might not ask for directions. Number one might be that you're convinced you can find your own way, right? That's what we, we typically do, isn't it? We Well, I'll just... I'll just figure it out just around the next corner, just, just in a little bit of time. If I just keep trying, eventually, eventually I'll, I'll find my way. Eventually I'll figure out how this works. And we know that when we're in the car and we do that, sometimes we're getting more and more lost. And sometimes that's happening in life too, isn't it? Sometimes it's happening with our family because we're, we're being stubborn, we're being proud and we just think, I I can figure this out. I I can figure out marriage. I can figure out parenting. I can figure out how to live as a single Christian. I can figure out how to deal with my grief. I can figure out how to deal with my fill in the blank. And we just keep struggling alone and isolated thinking that we're going to figure it out eventually? Or number two, that we're embarrassed to admit that we don't know the way. Are you embarrassed to admit to someone, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a Christian husband. I don't know how to be a Christian wife. I don't know what to do with my kids at this stage of life. It, it seems like just yesterday, I, I felt like things were going really well, and then today, I, just, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? Can you give me some advice? Can you point me in the right direction? Or how about this? Number three, you're unsure how to ask for help. Maybe you want to ask for help. You want to ask for advice. You know you need to. You're not too proud, but don't even know where to begin. How do I even phrase that? How do I, how do I sit down with somebody and say, how do you do marriage? How do you, how do, you do parenting? How do you deal with this particular situation in your family? You, you don't even know how to articulate that question. Or number four, you're skeptical about others' willingness or their ability to help. You think, I don't know this person well enough. I, I don't, maybe I don't feel like I know anybody well enough to ask them, And would they be willing to help me or would they, would they have any better ideas of how to do this than I would? Or number five, you're afraid you will inconvenience someone. They would probably be willing to do it. They would probably give me advice. They would probably take time for me, but I just don't want to be a burden on them. And so because of one reason or another, so many of us are just trying to figure it out on our own. And we're just wandering around aimlessly. Chances are you look at other people in this room right now or you think about other Christians that you know and you think they've got it all figured out. They know what they're doing. They know how to do singleness or they know how to do marriage or they know how to do parenting or they seem like they've got all of the answers. Why don't I know how to do this? And chances are those people that you're thinking of, they feel exactly the same way. And so many of us are just wandering around lost, but afraid or unwilling to sit down with somebody and say, can you give me some advice? Can you help me? Can we do this together? Would you come alongside me? Would you help me? Would you share with me how you did things when you were at this stage of life? But of course, of course, both in the car and in life, we we now have these smartphones. Now, I, I'm not one of these guys that that's just negative about technology. I I really like the fact that I have a smartphone. There, I I use it for a lot of things. But but there's a real danger, both both in the car, but more so in life, that modern technology supports and reinforces our individualism creating even more resistance to asking for help and direction. But just us to think about that for just a second. Modern technology, our smartphones, the internet, Wi-Fi, the fact that we are always connected and always able to Google it, whatever it is, or YouTube it, whatever it is, it supports and it reinforces our individualism, which creates even more resistance to asking for help and direction. I mean, after all, I don't don't need to ask any of y'all, can you take me to the airport? I need a ride to the airport because I've got Uber and Lyft on my phone. I don't need you. I don't need to depend on people. I don't need to ask you, hey, I really need somebody to bring me some food because I've got DoorDash. I could just DoorDash it. If If I wanna know how to fix something, Y'all know me. I'm not going to be able to fix it anyway, but I I don't have to ask you. I'm going to first YouTube it, right? I'm going to watch a YouTube video. We used to depend on people. We used to depend on people. We used to ask people for help. We were resistant. We didn't really want to. We we, we tried not to. We tried to do it ourselves and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And we often wandered around trying to figure it out, figure out how to do it on our own. But eventually we asked people for help. I'm afraid we're getting more and more individualistic. We're getting more and more isolated where we think to ourselves, I'm supposed to figure this out on my own. And we do that with little chores around the house, and we do that with meals, and we do that with rides to the airport, and we do that with parenting, and we do that with marriage, and we do that with grief, and we do that with struggle, and we do that with sin, and we do that with temptation. We do that with every aspect of our lives, don't we? We think, I'll just find find something online that will teach me how to do this. But church, you need, I need, we all need real life, flesh and blood relationships with one another. I'm not saying you got to throw your phone away, but I am saying we all need real life relationships with one another. And we've got to sit down for coffee with each other. And we got to sit down at a meal together and say, help me. Give me some advice. I'm struggling right now. It's okay to YouTube things sometimes. It's okay to Google things sometimes. It's okay to DoorDash things sometimes. But you need community. We all need community and we need to be willing to ask our community for help and advice and direction. I want us to think about the, the book of Titus this morning. The New Testament, all throughout, but we're gonna particularly focus on Titus this morning. The the New Testament, the New Testament is all about the creation of these kinds of communities. Communities that are mutually dependent on one another, who, as the, the saying goes, they do life together. They they figure out life together. They they come together as a community and they teach each other. They help each other. And they ask advice from one another. They model parenting for one another. They model marriage for one another. They teach each other, this is how you walk as a follower of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, look at Titus chapter 1. One of the things that Titus, Titus is this young preacher evangelist that's working on the island of Crete, and his job is to go around to every town and to make sure that the Christians in every community are gathered together into communities that work well together and that have shepherds, overseers, elders who are overseeing those communities. And isn't it interesting that when Paul tells Titus, these are the kinds of men who should be shepherding, overseeing the elders of these communities, so often the qualifications are about family. How do they live with their family? How do they conduct themselves and their families? Look at Titus 1 and verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Now, I think there's probably a couple of reasons That Paul, both in Titus and his letter to Timothy, when he's talking about the qualifications for elders, I think there's a couple of reasons why he focuses on family, on the elders' marriage, and the way that he parents his children. Part of that is so that younger Christians can look up to these elders so that they can go to these elders and say, how do you do this? How do, you, how do you live in, in marriage? How do, you, how do you make this work? How do you parent your children? How did you parent your children? But another reason, and he's very specific about this, throughout the book of Titus, throughout this letter, that it's about the stability of the Christian home for the sake of the church's reputation. We could put it this way. The credibility of the Christian message has always been judged by the stability of the Christian home. The credibility of the Christian message has always been judged by the stability of the Christian home. Paul knew that. Paul knew that the unbelievers in Crete were going to look at the church and they were going to determine whether or not the message about Jesus, this Jewish rabbi who had been executed and raised from the dead and that they were claiming is the king of the universe, that that message and whether or not it was credible was going to be determined and judged by what does your home life look like? If your home life is a mess then we're going to be dismissive of your message. But if if You're living a a noble life that is above reproach. Maybe there's something to this message that you're preaching. And and I don't know about you, but I, I believe that this is still true. The credibility of the Christian message is still judged by the stability of the Christian home. Unbelievers are looking at our home, and they're determining whether or not what we say is credible. And that's why this idea that we tend to have of, it's nobody's business but mine. My marriage is nobody's business but my business. My my parenting is nobody's business but my business. What happens in my home is, is my business. This is my private business. Don't worry about whether my marriage is what it's supposed to be. Don't worry about how I'm parenting my children. If you're A part of the body of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. You you can't just say, I'll figure it out on my own. I'll figure out how to do marriage all by myself. I'll figure out how to parent all by myself. No, that's not how it works. We're a family, we're a community, we're doing this together both to help one another and because our credibility is on the line together, together. And so if if my home is not what it ought to be, it reflects on the whole body of Christ. And the same is true with your home. And that's why Paul says about the elders that they need to be men who are loving their wives and don't have other women on the side. And that their children aren't running around and doing things that are bringing reproach on the family, but also on the church. Because the credibility of the Christian message is judged by the stability of the Christian home. Look at the next chapter, Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. Here he kind of walks through different stages of life and different groups of people. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, You see what he's telling Titus? This is the way the Christian community needs to work. Not, hey, everybody just go do their own thing. Everybody just live their own life. Everybody just do their own thing. No, help each other, support each other, teach each other, train each other. He says about the older women, and I would assume the same would be true for the older men, that they're supposed to be training and teaching the next generation. Wouldn't you assume that? That both the men should be doing that for the younger men because the older women are supposed to be doing that for the younger women? To do what? Teach them how to love their husbands. Teach them how to love their kids. Teach them how to be wives. Teach them how to be moms. Older men, again, I would assume, teach the younger men how to, how to be dads, how to be husbands. See, this idea that we have in the back of our minds somewhere because maybe it got put there by a, a fairy tale or a movie we watch when we we're a kid that once you get married, you'll live happily ever after. I, what is that? It, it just happens. It just happens. You just say, I do, and that's it. You get into your carriage and you ride away and it all works out somehow. That's not real life, is it? We have somewhere in the back of our mind, well, I'll just figure it out. It'll come naturally. And if it doesn't come naturally, it's not meant to be nonsense. Nonsense. That's a myth. It's a lie. It's a lie. God never intended for you to figure it out on your own. Or for you to believe that if it's meant to be, then it will just happen. It'll just work out. He intended for you to be part of a community who are teaching each other, this is how you live as a spouse. This is how you live as a parent. This is how you conduct yourself as a follower of Jesus. Not just figure it out on your own. For you to be in relationship with real life, living, breathing human beings where you're teaching each other, where you're training each other, where you're encouraging each other. And again, look at that last phrase there, that the word of God may not be reviled. Again, because the credibility of the Christian message has always been judged by the stability of the Christian home. This idea that I'll just figure it out, and it's nobody's business but mine. That is not the way the church is supposed to operate. We're in this together. We're in this together. When you, when you were saved by Jesus, you were added by Jesus to his body, his family, his community, the church, and we share, we share life with each other. We help each other. We don't say, don't, don't worry about this. This is my burden. No, we bear each other's burdens. We help one another. We encourage one another. We teach one another. We train one another. I thought it might be helpful for me to suggest some of the ministries here at McDermott Road. Just a few. We could name off so many. A few ministries where you can experience Titus 2 where you can experience this kind of thing. One would be Brother's Keeper. Brother's Keeper, we we have a ministry where older Christians and younger Christian men come together, have coffee together, have breakfast together, have dinner together, but talk about life, life. And the purpose of it is not to say, how about them cowboys? You know, the the purpose of, of meetings like this is so that we say to each other, hey, when your kids were going through this, how did you handle it? Hey, when you were single, how did you, how did you navigate that? Hey, when you were engaged, how did you, how did you handle that as a, as a Christian? Hey, did you ever, did you ever struggle with this? I, I'm really struggling with this. How did you handle that when you were in this situation? That's the purpose of ministries like that. For the women, there's also the heartfelt friends. The same kind of a situation where older Christian women and younger Christian women come together, talk about life. What are you struggling with? What questions do you have? None of this, let's keep it to ourselves, just you worry about your stuff, I'll worry about my stuff. No, no, no. We bear each other's burdens. We teach each other, we train each other how to to love your spouse, how to love your kids. A new ministry that was just started, Embrace Grace, a support group for unplanned pregnancies. If you're going through something like that, you need people in your corner. You need people who will walk through it with you. I know we live in a modern world that's so individualistic that says you just do it by yourself, but God never intended for anyone to do that. He never intended for anybody to just live Marriage or parenting or pregnancy or singleness or grief or sorrow or struggle by themselves. We are social beings. We need his help, but we also need each other's help. Life groups, or life groups meet today. Find a life group. That's what life groups are all about. Not just so that we could talk about the sermon to, to each other, but so that we could talk about life with each other. How do you do this? How do you handle this? And I'm really struggling with this. I don't know what to do, I'm lost. I'm I'm just, I'm wandering aimlessly. How do do I take the next step? What is the next step? Where do I go from here? Our men's retreat, October 20th through 21st. I'm, I'm getting real specific now. I write it down. Men, come together with other brothers. I mean, it's great you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching online. That's fantastic. It's wonderful. But you need more than just sitting in a room together. you got to have a meal together and be willing to say, I need some advice. Or or on the other hand, I'm willing to give some advice. Hey, I made a lot of mistakes. I've seen a lot of ups and downs. I've gone through a lot, and I want to share that with you. Let's be in these kinds of community with each other. And they happen in places and times like these. Or a road family conference. November cha- November, no, no, November, chapter 4. No, that's not right. <laughs> November 4th. So used to chapter and verses. The road family conference. Put it on your calendar. It's a time for parents to come together and confess to each other. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know how to handle this particular situation. How do you do it? How are you doing it in your home? The church is where we're supposed to openly and freely admit that with each other, not try to pretend like we've got it all figured out. Because I guarantee you, no one else here feels that way. I've got it all figured out. Don't think that anyone else thinks that way. Keep reading with me in Titus, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a, I love this word, a model, a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Again, Paul is concerned about the reputation of the church. And he says the way that we're going to guard and protect the reputation of the church is for the people in the church to be teaching each other and training each other and modeling good works for each other. This is what it looks like because you're not supposed to figure it out on your own. You're supposed to figure it out as a part of a family, as a part of a community. We're supposed to be seeking advice from each other, looking at someone else and say, wow, I really like how they talk to their kids. I want to incorporate that into my parenting. I love... I love how they treat their wife. I want to incorporate that into my marriage. I love how she talks to her husband. I want to incorporate that into my marriage. Be constantly watching each other. And the only way that happens is to morning. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Hope you have a great week. It doesn't happen here. It happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Being in each other's homes, being in each other's lives, listening to each other, teaching each other, encouraging each other, modeling life for one another. Because I guarantee you that everyone in this room is struggling with something and asking, how do I navigate this? How do I navigate my grief? How do I navigate my singleness? My child is being bullied at school. How do I navigate that? My child identifies as LGBTQ. How do I navigate that? How do, how do I navigate my sorrow? I'm afraid my marriage is falling apart. My marriage did fall apart. How do I navigate that? How, how, do, I, how do I deal with the sleeplessness of having toddlers? How do I navigate this This time, this place that I'm in right now, everyone in this room is asking questions like that. And here's what we need to remember. Someone else has been where you are now. Someone else has been where it is you are. Whatever questions you're asking, whatever questions you're afraid to ask, your brothers and sisters have been there before, and they've asked those questions too. Don't be afraid to ask. Be willing to ask each other, how did you deal with this? And they may say, well, listen, I didn't go through exactly something like that, but I know someone who did. Hey, come over, let's, let's, let's have lunch with this person because I know this person has gone through something very similar. We tell ourselves, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's lost. I'm the only one that's wandering. I'm I'm the only one that's questioning. I'm, I'm the only one that's struggling. Nonsense. Satan wants you to believe that, and it's not true. Someone else has been where you are now. And the church is not made up of people who have it all figured out. The one thing that we all have in common, we have a lot of differences, different backgrounds, different ages, different ethnicities, different, different all kinds of things, different experiences. But the one thing we all have in common is that we all said to the Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I've made a mess of my life. I need your help. What we all have in common is that we have been saved by his grace and mercy. Later in the same book, Paul would say he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what we all have in common. We've all said, I can't do this on my own. And if you're willing to confess that to Jesus, if you're willing to confess to God, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Then why wouldn't we be willing to say that to each other who are also struggling? Say to each other, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. Will you walk with me? Because someone else has been where you are now. Our shepherds, Our shepherds have been where you are now or they know someone who has and they would love to pray with you or encourage you. They meet every Sunday in the prayer room and they would love to pray with you. And every Sunday we stand and we sing a song and it's not just empty ritual and tradition. We honestly, truly would love nothing more than to help you put Jesus on in baptism or to say to one another, I need help. I need prayers. I can't do this on my own. So if we can help you this morning, now's a great opportunity to respond. As together we stand, sing this song.